This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me on their side once again is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. Hey, Paul. It's good to be back. Another week. Another uh, Another new position. Yeah, absolutely. The NFL draft now is less than one month away. Last week, we were privileged to have Mark Schofield on to break down the quarterback position. And tonight, returning to the Saturday to Sunday podcast for either a second or third appearance is Jason DiRenzio. Jason, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. We are really excited to have you. Uh, Paul, I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor to be here again. I cannot wait to talk about some of these prospects with you and Jeff tonight. And this is the first time I've had the uh, honor of meeting Jeff. So it's a pleasure and I'm excited to talk to both of you and I feel like we got a lot to discuss, huh? Yeah. So this wide receiver class, I think is the, is definitely the peak in terms of the offensive skill positions. I think it's a very deep class and there's a lot to break down tonight. So I'm looking forward to getting into it, but let's first, a little bit more big picture in terms of we have when you're evaluating and scouting the wide receiver position, is there certain traits, Jason, that you look for more than others? Like, I, you know, some people it's all about route running. Other people it's ball skills, you know, a variety of the two. Is there a couple individual traits that you kind of really fine tune and look for that when you're watching film on wide receivers? Yeah, it's it's a combination of a couple of traits, actually. I mean, I could sit here and tell you all about the release and how they separate. Uh, but, you know, the NFL is evolving. I'm trying to adapt to that evolution of what the what the new receivers looking like. And there's a there's an alpha mentality now where the NFL is really looking for that for that guy who's always competitive, looking for the ball and has just that alpha, my ball, I'm going to get it no matter what type of mentality. So that mentality I want to see upon the release. With that release, I don't want to see just a couple, uh, a single move or double move or you know, foot fire and all that's great, but I want to see hand usage, I want to see physicality, and I want to see a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to get past the defender and stack them, has that athletic ability as well. I want to see that initial speed. I think we're realizing with the 40 that the 40-yard dash is one thing. I don't need a guy to break off a long one because that rarely ever happens. I need him to just be able to get that first 5 to 10 yards and show me that he has athletic ability and physicality to do so because some of these corners in the NFL are extremely talented now. Uh, When it comes to separation, I think we kind of get lost in that. Just because a guy doesn't have crisp breaks doesn't mean he can't separate. I want to see a guy who can separate either – with the agility and athleticism or use physicality and play strength. You know, how he does it, I don't care, as long as it's combined to the strength of that receiver. And now we're looking at guys in the NFL that are able to go up, get the ball, have strong hands, and are consistent and QB friendly. So that's a part of it as well. Uh, I know we have some of these smaller receivers coming in. I was a big Elijah Moore guy because he plays bigger than he actually is, and that's what I like to see a receiver that plays to the potential of almost like he's a, he's a Jack Russell, but he plays like a Rottweiler. I love seeing that. So those are kind of the main basics that I look for right now. Yeah, and I think you brought up some really good points because I feel like sometimes we 
look for certain things, but then like there's a lot of critique that I feel like, you know, a lot of group think. And sometimes it's like you, you brought it up there. Like your job is to separate and not everybody separates the same way. Right. Sometimes right. some people it's, it's really clean footwork and other people's it's they're just straight athleticism and other people it's physicality and strength. I remember last year here in, in the pre-draft process, a lot of the group think was that a guy like Kadarius Tony was very unrefined, not a good route runner. But his quick twitch to separate immediately translated to the NFL level of getting away from guys because he did it even though he wasn't a very refined route runner. He his footwork and his instant twitch completely, you know, had defensive backs, you know, basically stepping back and could not keep up with him. So I think there's a lot of different ways you can create separation. Jeff, let me bring you in on this conversation. Is there one or two things, because I know you love digging into the film yourself, is there one or two things that you look for in a wide receiver? Because as Jay said, we're really evolving, right? The prototype six foot three guy that used to be considered the alpha, right? They're they're a dime a dozen now. They're, yeah, there's a few of them left, but we're seeing number one wide receivers come in all shapes, sizes, and forms, utilized in so many different ways, inside and outside. I mean, I know you out on the West Coast, you know, no one ever envisioned Debo Samuel becoming a number one alpha, but he's became that in a different way than maybe we were used to 10 years. Is there certain traits you look for in the modern wide receivers that you – kind of hold your hat on that when you see it in on college film you're like yeah that's that's something that i think is going to translate that's what i'm looking for well you talk about debo being a number one alpha wide receiver and um we talk about that as i I think it's just another step in the evolution that you know we started down when it was guys like uh, julian edelman and wes welker and uh even antonio brown right like all these guys are doing it different ways different styles um you know different body types you know like we talk about separation in different manners like separation can be going above the rim it can be you know t higgins separation can be you know that quick twitch like uh Kadarius tony it's just um you know it's really about um the diversity of wide receivers you know how do they win and i think more than almost any other position how do they fit in in a landing spot right so you know, for me, I definitely want to, at this phase, understand, you know, what a player, what their profile, like, how do they win? You know, how, like what's, what's in their arsenal, what's in their tool bag. And then it really matters how they fit within either a scheme or with the quarterbacks that play too. Like all of that ecosystem, you know, is really what's going to help, um, you know, a prospect or a player uh, fully emerge or, or, you know, maybe kind of still wait for that future promise that may or may not come in the, into the right situation. Like, I don't think Debo Samuel is Debo Samuel if he's, you know, in Tampa Bay even, right? Like, that's not what they'll do. And, and it took the confluence of, of him along with Kyle Shanahan uh, to be able to, and even honestly, even Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit, right? And the, and the way that Jimmy Garoppolo attacks the field all of that had to come together for us to see what Debo Samuel became. So for me, it's really about profiling these guys first and foremost, and then understanding, you know, do they have a quarterback who will throw to anticipate open or does the quarterback need to see open before they throw it? Right. Then that might make, you know, different fits for different style of players. Right. Or, or will they be okay throwing the contested ball or the fade? 
So, so that's really, for me, it's, it's first about how do they win? And then it's about how, you know, how does that skill set fit into the environment around them? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you bring up some really good points there. I know for me, I've always been a big believer in route running translates, but it's also, it's also one of those things where you, you got to really look for NFL problems that they solve. I think that's so critical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I always go back to, you know, somebody like Nikhil Harry, who people were very high on. And I had my reservations. I still thought he deserved to be a top two round pick. I thought he was, you know, I had him like six or seven. I just didn't have him at one or two because I didn't see a lot of instances where what, how he won in college was how he was going to win at the NFL level. And that's, you know, that's came to fruition. And even this year, there's a guy who most people have at one or two. We're going to get into a little bit later tonight that, I think he's a good player, but I have some question marks about him translating the way he's going to have to win at the NFL level. And I'm interested to you know talk to you guys about him in a little bit. But I just, I just think trying to find instances of winning NFL problems. So it's like you could have 110 catches in college, but if it's just bubble screens and, mm-hmm. and quick slants and stuff like that, like, yeah, okay, then you better be really great after the catch and that better be your calling card in, at the NFL level because if that's the only reason why you're drafting a guy because it caught a hundred passes, but it was never in conflict. And, you know, then, then that's not really saying much, right? A lot of guys could have done that if they were just given the opportunity. So, and you made a great point, Jeff, in terms of where these guys go in situations that they're put in and, and the opportunities that they're created and the surrounding environment does go a long way. And I think that's why we're seeing so many wide receivers. And this is kind of the second point I'll bring up with you, uh, Jason is why do you th- do you think part of it is the coaching at the NFL level has started to understand better how to maximize the skill sets of wide receivers because I see we're seeing more and more wide receivers come into the NFL and really have a major impact right whether it was Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson you know guys you know even not at that level, but we've seen plenty of guys over the last four or five years that have really good rookie seasons as wide receivers a lot quicker than we used to. Any thoughts on maybe why that is? Is it just teams are using more of the college play calling or schemes to kind of get these guys open and maximize their skill sets. What do you think it is of why we've seen the transition from Saturday to Sunday, you know, you know, our namesake here, you know, why, why do you think that transition has been as smooth as it's been lately for so many of the wide receiver prospects compared to in the past, it used to be like very hit or miss. Sometimes it took year two. It used to remember it used to be the wide receiver year three breakout. Like that was like a major thing a few years ago that was being talked about. And now it's like, these guys are expected to be impact players year one. If not year one, definitely by year two, not expecting to take the year three. Any reason why maybe you think that's the case now? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it with coaching. I honestly think that you have very intelligent coaches who identify the strengths of their players, and you have coaches who are stubborn and don't allow their players to be put in position to succeed. And when a coach can identify what a player can do, they will put them in the right spot to succeed right away. And if they don't, well, obviously that shows them that they're not ready and there's still some development that needs to take place or a coach who knows that his player needs development and doesn't want to put them out there and harm their confidence right away, won't do so. They will will keep them outside and they will continue to develop them through the playbook and through, you know, on-field drills and different things like that. They will 
maximize their potential through practice and the offseason to make sure they're ready for the next year. So when it comes to like Justin Jefferson, there's some obvious ones like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Some of these guys were just vastly productive and they just needed the opportunity in the NFL because they were ready. And they were they were also put on, you know, in, in a position to win right away where other players like your DK Metcalf, who went off his first year, Chase Claypool, who went off his first year. You know, there was a lot of potential there. Unfortunately, what happens is some of these players who don't have the full arsenal of a complete receiver. And what I mean by that is, you know, they're able to separate and go straight downfield, but they don't have the full route tree yet. So they're only able to win one way. Teams don't have film on these guys their freshman year or know how to stop them based on what they can do at the NFL level. What happens is the next year, now they have film and they're able to actually coach and try to take them out of the game, which we have seen with some of these receivers. So a lot of the upside receivers who didn't really possess the good route running ability and separation, but they have the athletic athletic ability and size and upside in that sense, do fade off a little bit. Whereas some of these potential route runners and guys that kind of are already nuanced, they can succeed right away if put in the right spot. And these guys are just, they're more ready. And we're seeing the athleticism. I mean, I'm not going to use the combine, but the combine is a good measure of showing there's a huge difference in athleticism and the potential of these players over the last couple of years from what we have seen. You know, 4-3 used to be a big deal. <laughs> now it's becoming a common theme. You know, so it, it, it is. Everything is kind of changing. Guys are getting bigger, stronger, smarter. And coaches at the, uh, you know, in, at the college level are really trying to get these guys ready. Uh, I, I think there's some coaches who just know, like, we are going to help you get prepared for the NFL. Um, and that's that's become the case. Uh, but it's it's awesome because now it's different. You know, the Jamar Chase is we don't have to wait on. These guys that we used to think that we have to wait on, if they're good in college, don't overthink it. They could be good right away in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think the NFL is – is it used to be um... – used to have a lot more patience in the NFL where quarterbacks and wide receivers and, you know, they develop. And this was even before rookie contracts, I guess maybe that that's potentially one theory as to why that's changed. But um, I think the, the coaches that do it best, you know, bring these rookies in like, like DK, for example, who might have, you know, a limited repertoire to start with, integrate them and then work through the development as they mm -hmm. grow, right. Give them more and more. Um, you know, like a Deontay Johnson, for for example, as as one of those ones who's expanded his game on the NFL level. But I want to, you know, maybe see if there's a potential challenge. So, you know, with this idea of the alpha wide receiver, right? We saw two just earth-shattering deals come down this offseason with Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. And clearly they are alpha guys, they win every way. They are, you know, immensely important to, um, you know, the both Green Bay and Kansas City over the last half decade. And I think it's a curiosity that both of them, you know, let these guys leave, mm -hmm. even as such an integral piece of the offense. And, and it kind of follows a trend that we see of, you know, like as coaches are able to space out the field a little bit more on offense, integrating a, a Debbie of a depth, um, a, a lot of different types of skilled wide receivers who do lots of different things 
individually, maybe not a, you know, um, a one guy to do everything. So what do you, what would you think about, um, you know, is this a sign of something that the NFL is, is coming to, or, you know, that they need three, four five wide receivers and paying a guy 30 million won't let them get there. Or do you think that, you know, this was just a, you know, maybe a different type of situation for these two teams? I think with both, I think with both these situations, one, I question why these receivers were willing to leave two of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL in their situations. I do like, I understand Tyreek Hill. There wasn't much of a choice there. Chiefs were very smart. Don't overpay a guy when you know, it's going to, you know, be a detriment to your future, considering how much you gave Pat Mahomes. Totally understand it. And Miami obviously has a type because Jalen Waddle, his comp for many was Tyreek Hill. So there's a type there. A day, the Dolphins did everything they could to get not everything they could, but they they took Jalen Waddle really high in the NFL draft. They they wanted him. The Dolphins were not going to let Tyree kill off the hook. They did everything possible to make sure they got him too, and they paid our king's ransom for him. So that's one thing. Uh, with Devontae Adams, I I understand that situation too. Uh, you know, he wanted to go play with Devon or uh, with Derek Carr, get back to the Fred- Fresno State, you know, possibility. He wanted to be a Raider, you know, and you never know when that's going to happen. So while the timing is right, you do it. But at the same time, I questioned the competitiveness because there was a chance of him being with the quarterback that was going to help lead him, knowing that Rodgers is a limited time. Rodgers hopefully has the same mentality that he wants to be a winner and win while the time is right because the NFC North is still kind of a mess. So I, I do question that a little bit, but I think it is going to be a common trend. I think some teams are going to be willing to give up these receivers, not overpay and replace them with talent through the draft, while other teams are going to be a copycat, see what the Rams did, mortgage those draft picks, put a winning team together and win right now when they have the opportunity. The Raiders, get it. You're in the AFC West. Yeah, you're going to do everything possible to keep up. Dolphins, th- I mean, honestly, I think they're an underrated team. They're only missing a few pieces. I think two is really the question right now. What can do a two a do for this team? You know, he's going to be the driver. He he's got he's got the steering wheel. So we'll see what happens there. But the Dolphins, I like what they're doing. Raiders totally understand. I kind of see it from all sides. Some teams will mortgage the future. Some teams will use the future through draft picks. I think that's just kind of where it's going. Hey, Paul, yeah, I want to jump in there because I think it's such an interesting thing. Both these trades, right? Because. You hear about the Devontae Adams one, and all purposes was that Green Bay said they would match the contract and even give him more. So for Devontae Adams, he just flat out chose Vegas over Green Bay. And whether that's he maybe knows, you know, even though Aaron Rodgers signed that four-year deal, who knows if he really plans on playing four years, right? We've seen the we've seen the drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers. If they take a little bit of a step back, is he really gonna stick it out and stay around? I'm not sure. And so I do think the bigger picture is, though, is more even the KC one, because to me, no wide receiver in the game impacted the way defenses approach things and changed an offense more than Tyree Kill. I'm not saying maybe Devontae Adams is a better all around wide receiver, but Tyree Kill altered and adjusted how defenses played Kansas City and they didn't really go out of their way. Like Green Bay was willing to match the, the, the price tag for Devontae Adams that Vegas was willing to give him. But Kansas City chose the, to trade him. 
And I don't, I, I'm just fascinated to see. And and listen, they had a lot of money tied up and you know on the mm-hmm. offensive line and the franchise tag. But like, you know, I've heard people say it, and Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks on their podcast said, wouldn't you rather rescind the franchise tag from the tackle, draft a tackle late round one, and not and then keep Tyree Kill? And it's like you know, for their team, I, I think that probably, you know, like Orlando Brown is good, but would you rather have a guy late round one as an offensive tackle and Tyree Kill, or would you rather have whoever you're going to draft as a wide receiver, you know, in Orlando Brown? And I think for me, with what they have right now, it would have been better to keep Tyree Kill. But I'm just wondering now if this is going to potentially start a trend where these quarterbacks that are the mega stars, the 40 to $50 million guys, right. And now everyone's going to be looking for that fully guaranteed deal, like Deshaun Watson. And when teams are giving these guys 40, $50 million guaranteed, is it going to be really hard to pay a true, true top of the line wide receiver to who their price tag is now seeming to push towards $30 million. Or you're going to see with what we just were talking about in the previous discussion, with how many good college receivers are coming into the league, are you going to see them say, we're going to cycle through these to keep the wide receiver costs relatively low to make sure that the quarterback money isn't hindering us for keeping a good offensive line, having a good defense, and not being what the Colts were for all those years, for the most part, with Peyton Manning, where he literally had to almost do it by himself. They had good wide receivers, they had him, and they won one Super Bowl, but a lot of it was they had a defense besides a couple pass rushers, and their offensive line wasn't very good. It's going to be really interesting to see how KC goes about fixing their offense and still keeping it as dangerous as ever. I think they, they'll they be very much in the market for some of the young guys we're about to talk to and transition, but there could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a process here because now Casey's for me goes from being the favorite or to probably get to the Super Bowl with Tyree Kell or right up there with Buffalo. And I guess if you want to say Cincinnati too, from the AFC, I think they take a step back now and they're in that very tough AFC West. If they come in third place after the chargers and the Broncos, would anybody be stunned this year? I I know I wouldn't. So like, it's going to be interesting. Like, does this cost them one or two years to get these wide receivers that they get up to par to give them 70% or 75%, you know, of what, Tyreek Hill was. Now, there's also been a lot of whispers they're trying to trade for a big veteran. So, I, you know, maybe maybe the whole idea of they're not willing to pay is, is out the window, but they just maybe had a number they weren't willing to go above a certain number for Tyree Kill. So it's going to be really fascinating because, you know, they take a step back. It's going to be interesting to see how they play. They don't, you know, they don't have much there yet. Juju's going to mostly be an inside player. You know, they they, they Signed Valdez Scantling, so we'll see if he can live up to some of that speed. We know he can take the top off defenses, but he hasn't really put it together to be very efficient or productive yet. And I, I think they're going to be adding a couple pieces in round one or definitely in the first two rounds uh, in the NFL draft. So why don't we use this as the transition point, Jay? This class as a whole, give us the give us the big overview of what you think of this class, you know, I know my take has been, yeah, no, we don't have any Jamar chases. You know, we don't have, you know, any Julio Jones types, 
but we have a lot of guys who I think are warranted going in the first two rounds, first three rounds. A lot of guys who I think are going to be really good wide receivers at the next level. Do any turn out to be true number ones? I think that's debatable. Probably a few do, but I think there's a lot of really good number two, number threes, a lot of guys who are going to be in the top three on depth charts. Do you see it similarly? Give me your overtake of what you think of this wide receiver class. Yeah, I think it's a good class. I do think that there's a drastic drop-off, though. Um, The two guys that I see right now that could be number ones are Garrett Wilson and Drake London. Those are the two guys I feel confident could possibly develop into number ones based on what they're capable of doing on the field. Uh, Garrett Wilson, you know, even though he's not that big, again, like I talked about, man, he's got the play strength. He plays big. That dude can get up over defenders. Saw it at the high school level, saw it at the All-American game. I mean, he just does it constantly. There's that crazy pick of him getting over a Clemson defender. I mean, it's just something where I believe in his release, his route running, all that. I think he's a package deal. Uh, When it comes to Drake London, he can separate much better than I think people give him credit for. He's better with underneath routes, but he can definitely get downfield. He's not a burner, but he separates with uh, the physicality, the length of his arms. He uses his basketball background to get up above defenders and box out. Uh, I, I like everything he's done. He's been fantastic his time during USC and uh, been highly productive until he got the uh, injury last season. So I like him a lot. I think the drop-off comes after the first five or six guys as far as like an absolute tier drop-off where I find myself questioning who I feel comfortable with. I, I think one guy who's really stood out to me is Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore is an incredible receiver. He could play inside, play a lot on the outside, plays physical for not being a big guy. He's able to separate, uses his hands at the line of scrimmage. Absolute um, amazing ball tracker, gets downfield quickly, contorts his uh, body to the ball. Uh, Doesn't have the greatest catch radius, but he maximizes that with his ability to adjust. Uh, Sky Moore's a, you know, a, a pretty good talent for me. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, we'll, we can talk about those guys. But yeah, I think there's a big drop off. And then it's just kind of pick your flavor at that point and what you're willing to feel okay about, if I can say it like that. Yeah, so Jay, I mean, you mentioned that there's kind of a drop off after five or six. And and if um, uh, Sky Moore is, it sounds like might be in that tier with you, it, it probably bumps out maybe a a name that um you know others might consider sort of round one locks whether that's um concerns around Jamison Williams whether that's concerns around uh you know Traylon Burks um do do any of those guys bump out for you um you know in favor of Sky Moore uh you know I like Jahan Dotson, but I do have my concerns about his physicality. I do have concerns that he can get bumped off his route. Uh, you know, he has a tough time against clingy defenders. So I like everything about him, but that is going to be a struggle of his at the NFL level. Uh, Christian Watson, I know is a big name. I can't get on board with that. The guy had 16 drops during his time in college. And I know he's a big speedy receiver, but we've seen these big speedy receivers that have limited production at a you know a not as competitive level, he's gonna be possibly another guy where we bring back the date the the year three breakout, but he's gonna need development, you know. So I'm not on board with Christian Watson right now. Uh, you know, George Pickens, I have my concerns about him too. I see way too much of him being hip to hip with defenders, you know, even when he gets the ability to get past them, 
Uh, he can't get past them unless he has, you know, that extension. He's got elite ball skills, which have helped him and put him on the map with some of his highlights. You know, even when he was hip to hip with the defender, it's his catch radius adjustment and just brute mentality. He has that alpha, which I do like, but I have my concerns with George Pickens and he's been hurt. He hasn't been productive since his freshman season. And there's immaturity things that I, I feel I hope he grew out of, but I don't know that for a fact. And I've seen that hinder the development. So, yeah, I, ha- I have my concerns. Sky Moore is definitely up there. And one more David Bell. I have no concerns with the uh, combined performance of David Bell. I figured he would run slow. Didn't think he'd be that unathletic, but it's between the ears that makes me feel fine with him. Yeah, some really good thoughts there. And I, I want to kind of go back because I, I kind of foreshadowed it a little bit and definitely want to pick your brain because, you know, you, like most people, have minimal, if any, concerns about Drake London. I like him. I do have some reservations even though i think he should go round one i think he Mm -hmm. warrants going round one when i watched him play and i've i've been on air since the summer saying i i feel like he's like part brandon marshall part mike evans and then that sounds great like if any team drafted in the nfl (laughs) would love that part brandon marshall part mike evans so 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 maybe this is just nitpicking a little bit but but i do my my concerns about him are we saw him dominate and win a lot in the slot at times, at, you know, at USC, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the times he was making catches, you know, with guys near him. Everything's going to be so much quicker, faster, more physical, stronger at the next level. I, there are some people that I respect tremendously who have him as their clear number one guy. And then there's other people like, you know, I didn't even know this until about a week ago. I think Greg Cosell is one of the best film evaluators out there, right? You know, he doesn't listen to anything. It's just his takes, you know, and he said he looks at a guy like, you know, uh, Drake London, and he said he thinks he's a guy who's going to mostly play in the the slot in the NFL, and he compared him to Marquise Colston, a guy who had a really good career, but Mm -hmm. not a guy you would think of, like, as this true number one wide receiver, like a different style number one wide receiver that he had that stretch in New Orleans because he had some separation concerns. And I think that's a little bit of what has prevented me from having him above the Ohio State guys, above Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, and why he's five for me is at times when I saw him dominate, I, 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 I felt like the way he's dominating, will it automatically translate to the next level? Because I felt like, and again, I think he's a better player and I like him a lot more than I like Nikhil Harry, but I did feel like some of what I saw Drake London do at USC was reminiscent of how Nikhil Harry just dominated at, you know, at Arizona state is there any part of that that you could see the other side as much as you like him that, or you think there's there's less concerns in terms of how we certainly kill Harry struggle to separate? You don't have those same, you don't see any of those concerns with a guy like Drake London. Yeah, I don't see the same concerns. And the only reason is, uh, I understand what you're saying, uh, but for me, I never saw Nikhil Harry show me any sort of release arsenal. I never saw the manipulation. I never saw the gestures. I never saw the the hands, the the moves I was looking for, where Drake London does show me that. 
And one thing about Drake London that really stood out to me when I did my deep dive on him and I did a full-fledged scouting report that's at DeviWatch.com is he always plays to the whistle. Even in blocking, you can't tell if he's blocking or not. You think he's actually part of the play. He doesn't stop. Like he puts himself in position to, you know, think that he's running around and do everything. And then all of a sudden he starts blocking and it, it kind of threw me off. I was like, wow, you don't necessarily see that. Some guys will walk up to players. He doesn't do that. He makes himself look like he's part of the play every single time. To me, Drake London, you know, we do this to project what somebody can be at the next level. If we say who they are right now, we're going to miss out on a lot of players. What can they be? To me, Drake London has a great foundation to build upon. And that's why I foresee him being able to be coached. Uh, I love the basketball background. He's very competitive. I don't see anything that would make me think he's not coachable. And the foundation how he has makes me think that he has tremendous upside. So maybe um, transitioning from, you know, maybe Paul's thought of maybe Drake's uh, an outside, maybe he's a big slot. Um, you know, let's let's switch to another name who I personally think will fit best in the big slot role, um, mostly because, you know, it harkens back to our earlier conversation about prospects that are, um, you know, maybe a little bit raw or, you know, need a little bit of development as they start to grow and and expand their repertoire to maybe work into other, uh, you know, areas of the field and, and other responsibilities for a team. And, and I'm talking about Traylon Burks here. And, and so you've talked about some guys that you like more than others. You've talked about some guys you might not like more than others. And, and absent in that is, is Traylon Burks. So what's your overall take on him? Are you optimistic? Are you cautious? Do you see some upside there? You know, g- give us a whole r- breakdown and run through. <laughs> Jeff, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about his upside. <laughs> so that's the best way I could put it. No, I so here's what I will say. I see two ends of it. And this is where I think everybody kind of gets very cautious but wants to get excited. But we have we have history against us with a guy like Traylon Burks. He can either be Nikhil Harry or JJ Arcega Whiteside or someone like that, or he could be AJ Brown. You know what I mean? And I was the guy when I was watching A.J. Brown say, well, he's just a slot receiver. I don't know how he's going to be doing as far as separating or anything like that. And it it kind of hindered my ability to see what he could be, right? Where Nikhil Harry, the analytics were all there. And I was thinking, okay, well, everything is telling me this guy could be good at the next level. I don't see him with a good release, but I'm just going to push that aside for right now because everything is screaming at me and I'm going to listen. Now it's to the point where I take a guy like Traylon Burks, who I think does need to be moved around. I think he's a versatile athlete, can't play inside, can't play outside. I don't see him going against anything but off coverage a lot of the time. I haven't seen how he is within his release. So here's what I'm doing. I have him at three right now because I do think the upside is there for him. Where he lands is going to tell me everything I need to know about him. What that scheme is going to do, what the coaches can do with him, that's going to change it all. That's why we have our rankings before the draft and we have post-draft rankings because things change. So I I like the upside. I think he can do a lot of the things that I would want from a receiver. Uh, He's got the size. I don't care about the 40. I'm done with 40s. I really am. If I see the play speed, the between the ears speed, have synergy with the feet, I'm okay with a guy having a slow 40. Um, Traylon Burks is a tricky, tricky player to try to project, but I feel pretty confident in what I see in him. I don't know how he's going to do against press, 
But if a but if a coach puts him in the slot year one and lets him go in space, I'm going to see some magical things happen. So I am just kind of cautiously wait and see what plays out with him. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the head on the there right there with Traylon Burks because I kind of have the similar feelings, and I do like him. He's my number two wide receiver, and AJ Brown has always been the guy that I, that I've comped him to. And going back to AJ Brown, you know, he fell to the second round partially because there were concerns about whether or not he could win on the outside, or was he just limited to the slot? And mm-hmm. I think some of those same concerns were. Arkansas wanted him in the slot because of the way they ran their offense and they wanted to, they wanted to run it through him in the slot and do a lot of things. I think he's going to be one of those guys that similar to AJ Brown is going to show that he can play outside and not just be a big slot, but at the same time, he, he needs to go to the right scheme, the right place. And I think if he does, I think you're going to see if they know how to maximize his skill set early as he's continuing maybe to to develop his skills, similar to A.J. Brown in year one, right? We saw some of that right off the bat, like playmaking ability, breaking plays with that strength and physicality. That's A.J. – that's Traylon Burks in a nutshell also. And you know, I, I'm glad you said like the 40. I mean, I people – I don't know where this misconception happened with Traylon Burks, where people thought he was DK Metcalf in terms of right? his, his athleticism. <laughs> what, like I, wa- I watched Traylon Burks last year, and if somebody would have said, what's Traylon Burks going to run? I would have wrote four, five, five in the biggest writing I, I could have written because that's who he is on tape. He's not a burner. And I never even heard this term, and I love the term, and I guess it's a term that scouts use and but dame ruler says he's got one of the best flying 20s he's ever seen and that was this oh. term that i was unfamiliar so yeah. i guess it's the pickup speed like after he gets going so i, I think it might be from like the 10 to 30 or the 20 to 40 i'm not sure but i know it's not that initial 10 and they said he said he's about he's as good as anybody in the flying 20 and that was what he was looking forward and i, I haven't heard him come back to that i know he was talking about that before the combine because he was saying he doesn't think he's going to have a great 40 time but for him it's all about the flying 20 once he picks up speed and i think that's kind of the same thing like Traylon burks is going to be a guy who again i under i i've heard some of the debo things he's a different type of player than debo i get the strength and physicality stuff of it but i think he's going to be a guy that's used in a variety of ways early in his career and then i think he could eventually like aj brown now has shown this full repertoire of winning i feel like I always thought Juju Smith was going to be mitigated to just be a big slot. I think there's more athleticism and play speed on the football field for a guy like Traylon Burks mm-hmm. that I think he's going to take more of the path that A.J. Brown did. Uh, but I do think fit's important. Off the top of your head, I know kind of putting you in a spot. Is there is there either a coach or a scheme that you think might you know maximize his strengths early on? I know I have one, so if you don't have any, I'll chime in. Uh, but is there is there a location that you think maybe you know a coach might get the most out of a guy like Traylon Burks? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, it's very difficult. I'm just thinking about who needs a receiver right now. And I, the development that I've seen, and this is only because they've been working with undrafted free agents and late round receivers and make maximizing them and actually getting them contracts like Marquez Valdez scaling. I think possibly the Packers, I think the Packers need a receiver and I, I like what they have done with really nothing. (laughs) I mean, they, was Alan Lazard even drafted? I can't remember. 
Marquez Valdez Scantling, I think he was undrafted or sixth round pick. You know, uh, yeah, he was like a sixth, and yeah. um, and and they they come from that Shanahan coaching tree now too, right? So right. you know, you could see you could see maybe they hadn't had the weapons before, but bringing in a guy like Burks who can be very versatile, you know, you might see a lot more you know diversity in in what that offense ends up being. You know, absent a, a single forty percent target share guy like you know Devonte Adams, yeah. I mean, and, th- to me, putting them in the best position to win is something the Packers have done. So that that would intrigue me. Well, I mean, I think you you I think you found an interesting spot because Green Bay, you know, by Lafleur, Lafleur was in Tennessee in 2018. So like he he was kind of there at the start. I, unless I'm unless I'm off by a year, I feel like he was the, was that the first year AJ Brown was there, 18 or it might be a year before. But 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 even if not, I was gonna go with I was gonna go with. Atlanta if he fell to the early part of the second round because Arthur Smith for sure was oh, yeah. the guy that developed you know and maximized AJ Brown's skill set uh you know in terms of utilizing that type of player so yeah there might have not been overlap with LaFleur and AJ Brown but LaFleur comes from enough places that knows how to put offensive playmakers in a position to be successful so whether it's a guy like LaFleur in Green Bay whether he falls out of round one and maybe Atlanta once upon a time he was being mocked to Atlanta at eight and now mm-hmm. he seems like he's fallen back a little bit to you know maybe mid to late round one I think Dallas is an interesting team to watch there or you know early second round a guy like Arthur Smith in Atlanta I think would really you know maximize his skill set but then you're also talking about Green Bay right having multiple first round picks you know mm-hmm. is this the year they finally go all in and, you know, maybe they get a burner and a speedster, whether it's Jamison Williams or Jahan Dotson, and maybe they double dip and get a guy like Traylon Burks to try to, you know, revamp that wide receiver position, you know, for Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think it's, I think we hit on a couple of places that could be really interesting to watch for a guy like Traylon Burks. Uh, Jay, you mentioned them before, so let's go back to them. Uh, I think, I think the buzz right now. In, and today I saw something uh, by Matt Miller said that these Ohio State receivers are going to go a lot higher than, than anybody thinks. And I, I I don't think Garrett Wilson's getting out of the top ten. I think the Jets might I be don't think his. So I think the Jets might be his his as the the lowest he goes could be ten to the Jets if he if he gets out of you know the Atlanta range over there you know at, at eight. You know, I can see the Jets at 10 making it. But I think Chris Olave is going to go a lot higher than people think. I think a year ago we were surprised he didn't come out. I think he would have been a late round one last year. He comes back to school. You know, you talked about Garrett Wilson before. So if there's any other any thoughts you want to say about him, you can. And I love before you talked about while he's a little slender, he plays so much bigger than that, his ball mm-hmm. skills, his body control. I do think there are some concerns about Chris Olave and the body and stuff. But I think he's really smooth, the route runner. He can win at all three levels. Some thoughts on, on Olave there, uh, Garrett Wilson's running mate. Uh, I do like Chris Olave. I think he's a fantastic receiver. And, you know, I know the analytics community is going to knock a lot of these guys who are four-year uh, players, stayed for their senior year because there's not that great of a trend. But we got to remember, man, that COVID year did a lot of damage to some of these players as far as, you know, having a shortened season. So a lot of them wanted to go back and actually play with fans in the stands and actually have a season and, you know, be competitive. So I'm, I'm kind of removing that with Chris Olave. Uh, you know, I think he's a fantastic route runner, a good separator, twitchy as all can be. 
Uh, I do think that he's faster than Garrett Wilson, even though Wilson ran a 4.38 and he ran a 4.39. I'm sorry, I just don't see that on the on the field at all whatsoever. That was crazy. Uh, but I think the limitation is going to be how he's able to get past NFL defenders without always using a speed release and the twitchiness. You know, what's going to happen when he faces the jam? Now, here's what I will say. We use that a lot, but how often is a receiver facing press man coverage in the NFL nowadays? So it's only going to be a limited amount of time. So it's going to take him time to develop. I think Chris Olave screams patience. I think Chris Olave screams year two, year three, until he gets that arsenal together of how he's going to win against NFL defenders, not just against guys in college like he did. Because the play strength is not there. He's not going to be able to fight off hand with his hands and be physical within his route stem. So that's the only thing I would say is he's a guy who's going to have to have patience unless he's going to be moved into more of a space type of environment, which is always good for a rookie. So it comes down to coaching too and the scheme. Where he lands is going to be a big key. Don't ask me a good fit because I don't have one. <laughs> I'm not too sure. <laughs> I'm all about those fits, right? I know um, I am too, but I'm thinking like who we'll would actually do the, the right thing? There's not many NFL teams that do the right thing. So maybe it's the Chiefs. I, I don't mind the yeah. Chiefs. I think that might be a good fit. Yeah, somewhere where he he, he isn't going to – I mean, I thought with Adams, Olave would have been a great fit in, in Green Bay. But now that Adams is gone, I don't, I don't know because I don't think you want him – you know, taking on a team's, you know, number one corner with bracket over the top, right? Like you, you want him to be able to find that open space and room. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Chiefs would be great. So somewhere where there is, you know, support across the, across the other side of the field. Right. Um, well, there, there's a, one more name to talk about um, a, a former Ohio state uh, player who, uh, you know, found greener pastures of all places in Alabama um, so I'm talking, I'm talking Jamison Williams and, and his, uh, you know, unfortunate injury. Um, same thing with, with John Mechie, you know, we, we went into the year thinking, you know, Mechie was, you know, a top three name, you know, to watch for this draft, you know, along with the, uh, you know, the other Ohio state guys. Um, I think like on our preview show, he was, he was one of those first ones mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think he actually, you know, was it the, you know, the injury, you know, or, or really it just seemed like he was taking a backseat to Jamison Williams just, you know, from his arrival. So, you know, that, you know, we're sort of talking about a day one and then maybe a day two guy, and maybe we can transition into other day two guys from there. But why don't you, you know, walk us through what you see with these two Alabama wide receivers? Uh, I'll start with Mechie. I'm not, I've never really been a big Mechie guy. I think he's, I think he's just a compliment wide receiver three type of guy. I really do. I don't think he has the athleticism, uh, or the nuance to really know how to defeat NFL level competition at this moment, right? I'm not gonna just, you know, say this is who he is and that's it. Like he could definitely develop into something more, but I don't see him anything more than a wide receiver three type of upside guy from what from what I've witnessed. When it comes to Jamison Williams, that's a different story. You know, he transferred from Ohio State to go to Alabama. Completely understand why because Ohio State is just littered with first round talent at receiver. And he wanted his opportunity, totally understand it. And there was opportunity at Alabama, so he took advantage of it and became the wide receiver one as soon as he got there. To me, that that already is a huge check mark, you know, as far as his work ethic, what he's capable of doing. And then you see the athleticism and speed. 
Where I have my concern is when he is with contact, uh, when he has contact at the line and when he faces contact within his route, uh, even on even on comebacks. If he can't get separation and he's got a guy at his hip, he has a difficult time with it. I was watching a Florida game where, you know, he was against man coverage at the line. And because of that contact, it completely threw him off and he wasn't able to adjust to the ball thrown. So that is going to be a concern of mine. And then you have the injury on top of it. Uh, he's another guy where I understand the upside and the projection can definitely be that he could take the top off of defense and be a high upside wide receiver too. the way I look at it. I'm not sure about a wide receiver one because of the size limitation and the injury. Uh, but the projection that I see for him is definitely a difference maker at the next level. I just have some caution to it. Jay, if I, if I jump in there, you seem to share some of the same concerns briefly before you talked about Jahan Dotson, that explosiveness that he offers, that Jamison Williams offers, both of those guys obviously, you know, could even throw Chris Olave into the mix. Like all of mm-hmm. those guys, there are some concerns about the physicality component, about being pushed off their routes and in at the line or in, during their routes. A guy like Dotson compared to Jamison Williams, who I think are going to be those guys who – are in that 25 to 35 range. I think that's, I think a lot of it's probably going to be gone before that. But I think Jamison Williams and Dotson are going to be somewhere in that like 25 to 35 range. Do you have a clear preference between those guys, even with some of the concerns you have of, of those two guys? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm not sure if I have a preference because they're all kind of the same. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know? I, and I think that's a that's a legitimate answer because while I like Jamison Williams a little bit more, and he's fifth, uh, he's fourth in my rankings. You know, for me, I have Dotson at six, and I have them all in the same tier, and mm-hmm. I, I think they're they're very similar. And maybe if there was no injury to Jamison Williams, he would he would be like a clear separation. Oh, absolutely to Jahad yeah. Dotson. Uh, but I think in terms of you know, you don't know what you're going to get in year one. And then like, I don't think it's going to take any of his explosiveness away, but we don't definitively know that until they're back playing. Right. And even right. if it's a little bit, well, then maybe he's not far and away faster than everybody in this class or whatever. Right. So, so I, I think that's a legitimate thing that I'm, I'm intrigued by both of those guys a lot. They're both in my tier one, which goes six deep, even, even though I, I could have probably separated that, but I, I do all think they're those six guys from Wilson, the Burks, Alave, Jameson Williams, Drake London, Jahan Dotson deserve to go round one. I think we'll probably see all six of them. If not six, definitely five of them uh, go round one. And, you know, I, I think teams are finding ways to lessen the impact of the smaller guys, right. In terms of Mm -hmm. being knocked off their routes. I think that goes into how we've seen the NFL evolve lately and not asking them to do things that 10 years ago, I think the concerns that we were having would have, they wouldn't even have been in mention maybe as high as they were going to go. Right. Because people wanted the prototype who looked and felt like the same guys who we were always used to. I think it's changed a little bit now, which I, I think is really, uh, open things up for guys like 
a guy like Deontay Johnson could be a legitimate number one at the NFL level. And and we talked right. about Debo before, like that, those are just different style players that those number one wide receivers didn't play like Debo Samuel or look like Deontay Johnson that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was just different. <laughs> and, and I think that opens now up for so many more guys and guys like Dotson and Williams to be impact players early in their career. Even if there are some concerns about, you know, their physicality and, and their ability to absorb contact and, and handle that, uh, which makes it really interesting. So let me pivot because there's another guy I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. And he's not at the level of Dotson or uh, Jameson Williams in terms of getting the buzz. But I would take him early round two. And I'm fascinated with what we just talked about, right? Positionless NFL football, playmakers, knowing how to maximize them. I'd be pounding the table if I was an offensive coordinator to get Wondell Robinson in my room at the NFL level. Thoughts on Robinson? Because he's been a guy in the Devy community that we've been talking about for years and years. He was a running back. He was, a, you know, part running back, part receiver. This year, he said, I want to be just a receiver. Really impressive performance this year at Kentucky. Thoughts on Robinson, kind of his trajectory of a name that's been out there for many years and and finally put it together statistically. Do you think there's a role for his versatility and his playmaking ability at the next level? 1,000%. I love Wondell Robinson. I do. Now, he's another guy. He's going to have to be used properly. He didn't, you know, he didn't face a lot of, you know, man coverage or anything like that. But, dude, if we're talking, like, if there was a movie you could make where Honey, I Shrunk the Shaylon Burks, like he is that, like he's that type of guy, you know, where he can be moved around. He's explosive. Like he's everything that you kind of want in Traylon Burks, but in a smaller package, that's more twitchy and explosive. So I really, really, really like Wandale Robinson. I did a whole article on him too at WWWatch.com, broke down every piece of him. Now I think he is going to be more of your gadget type player. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people listen to this and we're, we're talking professional evaluations on players, but in terms of fantasy, I do have my concerns of what he could be at the next level. Um, so that as far as how he can be used in fantasy as a receiver, Man, I think NFL teams are going to love his explosiveness. He's dynamic. He can be used everywhere. Uh, if you put him on the outside, it's going to take him a little while. But if you get him in space, get him on end of rounds, anything like that, just put the ball in his hand, and he he'll he'll do the work. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Wondell Robinson. I'm glad he transitioned to running, or I'm sorry, to receiver because running back he his value had been destroyed. Yeah, I mean. I think that there's the the sort of the size comp concerns because I just don't think many coaches in the NFL have, you know, really gotten a chance to unlock these playmakers on the NFL field. I mean, you know, you start all the way back with like a Tavon Austin guy and it's just, you know, you'd think that if there was anybody who could unlock Rondale Moore, it would have been a guy running air raid like cliff kingsbury but mm-hmm. um so I, that one's going to be one where again it'll be it'll have to take i think creative usage um, oh absolutely yep. but uh but it could be fascinating because I, I i mean i think like you know you you talk about a guy with movement skills along the lines of like a Kadarius tony but but just in a bit of a you know a, a smaller package it's uh you know it'll be interesting to see if if he could get used you know, how often he can get used? Can he be like an every down guy or is he, is he one who's going to be making splash plays? Um, 
you know, here or there as, as sort of like, a, you know, the akin to the scat back, but for wide receivers. Right. Um, you know, let's, let's kind of take it to one more, you know, big name that's, you know, sort of echoed throughout, you know, years of, of Debbie chatter. And, um, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, Justin Ross, who, I broke a lot on the lines of like him and George Pickens, right. Where, you know, mm-hmm. these guys were the headliners of the class three years ago and injuries. Like obviously the neck is a scary one probably will scare off teams. His draft capital is going to tell a lot with, with what, you know, NFL teams will think about his, his potential to play on, you know, at the, at the NFL level, you know, with that injury. Um, But he's a guy who's, you know, shown it at, you know, early on in his college career, you know, he's shown that, you know, fight mentality, that physicality, the the ball skills, you know, when he was playing with Trevor Lawrence, had some down years. Um, Where do you stand on Justin Ross? You know, Justin Ross is a tricky situation because when I, I went back and watched his first year, just to kind of get an idea of who he was again, because it's been so long. And I'm not going to judge based on what I know of him now. I mean, the guy's a, it's a remarkable story, and I have so much respect for him. And you could tell he absolutely loves the game that you can't help but root for Justin Ross. And so that that bias in me kind of <laughs> – I have to take that out a little bit. So I went back and watched the first year, and he's definitely not a fast player. That's for sure. Uh, but he's very competitive at the catch point. He can go up and get the ball at any difficult angle. Uh, and he's very quarterback friendly. He knows exactly where to be for his QB. I don't know what to make of who he is now, and that's the hard part. So I'm remembering and seeing what he did prior, but I don't know how that's going to translate to the NFL level where he's going to be facing the best competition you know, ever that in the world, if you want to look at it like that. I, I, I have a hard time unless he's going to be used as that go-up-and-get-him guy as a red zone threat I don't know what kind of role he's actually going to have. That that's my issue with him. But I am absolutely a fan. I mean, did you see enough, you know, skills, you know, from his, you know, from his first year out there, you know, his first year breakout? That let's just say he's sort of the the Nick Chubb, um, the next Nick Chubb that we see. You know, in terms of coming out off of a major injury, taking a little bit. To, to really build all the way back and then suddenly mm-hmm. comes back into the NFL and has that explosiveness, you know, maybe not the, you know, four, three speed, right. That's right. never who he was, but does he still have that explosiveness, you know, coming in as his uh, rookie year, you know, after, you know, he's gotten a few years past these injuries. I think he played on like Liz Frank this last year too, which again yeah. is so hard to grade him. Let's say yeah. he comes in healthy, you know, did you see enough skills where he could, you know, he, he regains that athleticism, you know, does he have the, you know, upside to really maybe come out as like a top three, four guy in this class? No, no, I don't see that. And the, and I understand exactly what you're saying as far as Nick Chubb goes. The thing with Nick Chubb is he was already built in a lab. So even if you get two thirds of Nick Chubb coming back from an injury, it's still a lot better than some of the NFL running backs where Justin Ross, I I actually didn't see the explosion that I was hoping to see in that first year. I just saw a very competitive dominant player at the catch point 
and knew exactly there was a there was synergy there was a there was chemistry between him and his quarterback you could tell they were always on the same same page uh i don't know how that's going to be with a guy like you know like him at the next level and i have no idea there's not there's not a good trend of the coming back from this injury either so if i already don't think he had the speed and athleticism but just the overall basketball skills to be dominant at the catch point I'm I'm very concerned about what he's going to be after this injury. Yeah, I mean, I think the NFL is going to have some real concerns about the neck too. The neck seems yeah. to be the one thing that really the NFL teams really are very, very conscientious, uh, very cautious of. Obviously, you know, uh, listen, Ross is Ross is so tough, right? Because if he would have been allowed to come out after his freshman year, I I think he would have went round one. Like if he was going to go. Ra- his performance that year was better than any wide receiver Clemson had, and they were loaded. And I think mm-hmm. he was the best of that group. And he was, I think, on the trajectory to go top 10, top 15, top 20. You know, that's where everyone obviously thought he was going to go. And George Pickens, too, I think, was ticketed for round one. And and I'm still intrigued by these guys. I think the NFL is going to like Pickens definitely more right now. He He tested. Uh, he tested really well. He he came back this year. You know, he seems to be over his issues. It's not a neck injury with him. And I mean, you you look at a guy like George Pickens, and he if if he never gets hurt, I think we're talking about the best pure traditional outside X wide receiver in this class. Like I think that's who he could have been because all the other guys we're talking about, they're more like or big slot or inside outside. And if you were just talking about the traditional outside X wide receiver, I could see a scenario three years from now that George Pickens is the best true outside X receiver in this class. If he, if he meets his potential and I like Justin Ross and I can't, you mentioned before, I know Christian Watson is going 50 to 80 picks higher probably than Justin Ross. I can't rank it that way. Like I still, I I did what you did, Jay, and I, I went back to the 2019 film. And even in the 2019 film, when I watch Justin Ross, I still see a guy who I think if he ever could get back to that, and that's a complete unknown and why he's going to go round three or day three, I think, I still say even if he gets close to that, why can't he be and win similarly to how Allen Robinson won? Allen Robinson wasn't a burner. He was four, six or T Higgins wasn't a burner. And look at the success he's had. And a lot of it's perfect quarterback chemistry. I get all that. But like, I look at a guy like Justin Ross and even if he's not four five, and even if he was always going to be a four, five, five to four, six guy, I feel like, okay, we've seen, we've seen guys in the NFL who with tremendous ball skills at the catch point, And he showed that at 19, so I was like, I still think there's a possibility that he could be a good player at the next level, but we know draft capital matters, opportunity matters, the neck injury makes it a concern. If he goes on round four or five, he's going to have a lot less of a leash and and the expectations are going to be a lot lower than if he went on round one, which is out of the question. Maybe late day two is is possibility, but probably not with this class. But I can't get myself to rank a guy like Christian Watson above him because if if Justin Ross even one year played the p- opponents that Christian Watson played I think that it wouldn't even have been you know the stats that he would have put up would have been you know insane so like I get it I, and I get the the Christian Watson has the testing numbers and you know you can't teach six four two eight at his size and frame 
and he's probably going to go late round one to early to mid round two. It's a little high for me. I think he should go, you know, late round two. Uh, but I'm holding, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the light on for George Pickens and Justin Ross. I think partly because I want to believe that they can get back to what we saw a couple years ago. But, you know, Ross in particular, I think it might be a little bit of wishful thinking, but but I'm hoping I'm wrong on that. So, Jay, why don't we end the night like this? Uh, we hit on just about all the really big guys in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you a list of names here. If there's anybody who you're maybe higher on than, than, what you know, than what you've been hearing or sleepers in your eyes, even though I don't think anybody's a sleeper too much anymore. <laughs> uh, I'll run off a list of names here, and then maybe you, you know, if there's one or two you kind of want to hit on that, that you're intrigued by. Uh, a couple other guys who I think could go on day two are Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama, Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. Uh, Calvin Austin, the speedster out of Memphis, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. Uh, some other guys that I'm intrigued with are Bo Melton out of Rutgers, Danny Gray out of SMU, Velas Jones out of Tennessee, Reggie Roberson out of SMU. And the list goes on and on. Malik Polk out of Mississippi State, Taekwon Thornton, the speedster out of Baylor, uh, Romeo Dobbs out of Nevada, Kyle Phillips out of UCLA, you know, Ontario Drummond out of Ole Miss, Trey Turner, Virginia Tech, and the list is endless. Any anybody from there, or even guys that maybe I didn't mention that you know are draft eligible that 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 you're intrigued with and and and, and want to discuss a little bit. Yeah, there's two guys actually that pop off. The, I'll go over the first guy because the the analytics community is not going to like him at all. But Vailis Jones really stood out when I watched his film. Uh, you know, he's a four year guy. Didn't really do much over that span. Uh, you know, went from USC to Tennessee, had a great season last season. So I was like, all right, well, let me let me see what this guy's all about. I was pretty impressed from what I saw. I was impressed with how he had a release against, you know, pressing man coverage. I was impressed with his speed. I was impressed with his manipulation when he had the ball in his hands and how he's able to go up and get the ball, track the ball. You know, all the analytics scream that this guy is going to be a bust, but something is definitely there with Bayless Jones. So I'm uh, slightly interested in him. Uh, and Khalil Shakur, man, I, I've been a big fan of him at a Boise State for a long time. Not really sure what to make him make of him in fantasy terms, but I think in real NFL terms, I, I think he could do a lot of good things for an NFL team. So those those two really stand out to me. Jalen Tolbert, uh, I, I get it, but I don't see it. Um, I I think that he's going to be a guy who's going to struggle against uh, NFL corners as well. Needs to be put in space. I mean, we could have this theme going on and on and on all night. Uh, but those are the two guys, as you were calling out those names that stood out, and a guy that stood out in a bad way to me is Calvin Austin. I just I can't I can't do it. I, every time I hear of an Austin, I think of Tavon Austin. Maybe that's the problem. But <laughs> I, I just can't do another small twitchy guy who's athletic and possibly you know will burn out in the NFL because he just has a minor role, and I'm using that term legitimately. So. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I'm right. I'm I'm definitely intrigued with, with Bayless Jones, and you know I like Shakir. I think he's going to be a rock solid uh, slot receiver with some versatility to play outside as well. But he's going to be a guy who probably goes off the board round three. Jeff, any final parting shots or or final questions for for Jay? Well, you know, we're just real interested to see uh, what you have cooking right now, what you have going on, um, what should we be tuned into? I mean, obviously. Yeah, this has been kind of our introduction. It's been great, you know, chopping it up with you. So where do I find you next? And uh, 
what, what can I look forward to? Yeah, so you can find me at DeviWatch.com. I'm at All Purpose Scout on Twitter. Uh, the Debbie Watch is working on their yearly project where we do full-fledged scouting reports on the hot Debbie names that you're going to want to know. We do scouting reports on them, full analytics, and it's a huge project that we put together covering you know, well over 150 guys. So we got that coming out May 1st, so keep a lookout on that. Um, I've been doing stuff also with the Scouting Academy, but that stuff is coming up later next year. So I'll kind of plug that a little bit later. But we do have our sophomore leap videos from last year where we tell you who can make a sophomore leap in the NFL. Uh, you can find that at the Scouting Academy YouTube page. And I'm also going to we have a Debbie Summit coming up on May 22nd. It's a Sunday. Uh, Brandon Lejeune out of uh, the uh, actually he's at Debbie Deep Dive on Twitter. Uh, he does the Debbie dashboard and we have a bunch of presenters that entire day. And we're going to be going through fantasy football, college fantasy football, Debbie, everything. So uh, keep a lookout for that as well. Yeah, guys, if you're not following Jay and, and following all his work, uh, I can vouch for the stuff that Debbie Watch puts out. I know every year uh, after I do all my film eval in the summer, I try to go in with an unbiased look, but I love after I do my <laughs> my evals to uh, bring up uh, all their great stuff and, and see if I see it similarly to them, see if, if I see it a little bit differently than them. Uh, it's a great resource to have for anybody who's in Debbie, who's getting a leg up in, in their dynasty drafts or just enjoys the college prospects and, you know, the NFL draft and, and wants to get ahead of the curve. Jay, thank you so much uh, for coming back on. Uh, we greatly appreciated it. Uh, it was a, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you guys. Always a blast. Uh, it's so much fun talking prospects with you guys. And uh, you know, it's, it's fun too, because there's a lot of bias and unbiased, and I think we kind of break through all that and get down to who a player really is. So that's a lot of fun. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. Guys, if you're enjoying the content that we're here putting out Saturday, Sunday, please get over to the website. SS Football is the fastest and quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all of our premium notebooks. The scouting notebook has about 100 detailed player profiles uh, for this offensive skill player class. The rankings notebook has all our different rankings draft rankings tier draft rankings it'll have our dynasty rookie rankings it has last year's dynasty rookie rankings still being updated as they enter year two uh, our Devi rankings are there and then uh, jeff and i also have our positional uh, overall dynasty rankings there as well i am just about done with the scouting notebook been working on the draft projections notebook but i have made it a point that in the next two weeks i am going to update my dynasty positional rankings with all the ridiculous major free agency changes that have transpired over the last month or so so for 9.99 you get access to it all and then in april you get the draft projections notebook which will have about 400 players in it, a uh, quick snapshot of who they are, how they win, some developmental areas, projecting how I expect it to go on draft weekend. So you get all of it for $9.99. We put everything right back into the show to continue to do what we do here. So for our guest, Jay, for Jeff, and for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>